John, you've talked a lot over the years around the 12-step program mm -hmm. and just how that's made a huge impact to people all over the world. Um, one of the, I don't know if it's a quote or one of the statements I've heard you say, because um, back then, maybe even today, when uh, groups meet, they meet in the church basement. Mm. And they have this saying where it says, if you want to hear about miracles, go upstairs. If you want to see miracles, come downstairs. Mm -hmm. There's just something beautiful about um, how people are authentic in those moments. And, and they're willing to just be vulnerable. Yeah. The role of authenticity and leadership is important, but it's hard. Yeah. How do we approach that? Just, I think maybe starting even with the 12 step program and just that, that side of things. Yeah. That study that Matt Bloom did looking at how do people flourish when we're involved in church ministry mm -hmm. identified authenticity as one of those characteristics mm -hmm. that people who flourish live authentic lives. I'm real. There's a sense of integrity to my life. Mm -hmm. Who I am behind the scenes is basically the same thing as who I am in front of other yeah. people. There's a sense of congruence. There's an integrity to my mm -hmm. story and my narrative. And I thought a lot about how um, uh, disclosure, honesty, truth, coming before God and other people with the reality of who I am, as opposed to hiding, which is sure. kind of the opposite, yep. is so central to the flow of spiritual power. And in 12-step groups, as long as people are able to say, hi, my name's John, I'm an alcoholic, mm -hmm. um, I'm messed up, I'm having big problems. When people are able to come into the light honestly, there's enormous power that comes yeah. in to be able to heal. But as soon as that stops, as soon as there's hiddenness, it's like an electric circuit where the power gets broken. Yeah. And I thought it helped explain to me what's otherwise a really strange story in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book of Acts, there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Yep. yep. And other people are being real generous, selling fields, bringing money, laying at the apostles' feet. And so they think, oh, I'd like to have a reputation like that. I'd mm -hmm. like to have people think of me in that way. So they get some money, but they hold back part of it themselves and mm -hmm. they just bring part of it. But they make it sound like they brought it all. So the problem isn't a financial problem. It's not that they kept some. It's deception. Yeah. And if you know the story, I'm sure yeah. you do. Uh, you know, first he dies and then the and wife dies. dies. And that yeah. seems a little severe. Yeah. It's like, yeah. man, God, yeah. couldn't there have been a little two-minute warning or yeah. something? And I'm sure God will have cared for them in eternity in whatever way will serve them the best. Mm -hmm. But what struck me about that is it's kind of, it's almost like the fall that was in the Garden of Eden, the Old Testament, yes. takes place in the church there. Yep. Because up until that time, essentially, the church had been this place where yep. people would come together. The, the Acts text says they ate with glad and sincere yes. hearts. Yep. So they're bringing their real selves. And this is the first time we see where there is deliberate hiding. hiding. And that's the one act that... Uh, power cannot overcome to keep yeah. healing. Whatever I've done, if I can honestly you know, acknowledge it, if we confess God is faithful and just to forgive, um, then power can flow. Yeah. But when I hide, when I become inauthentic, when I try to convince you mm -hmm. that I am somebody that I am not, that just shuts everything yeah. down. And, and we think that this is something we struggle with now because of social media, because you mm -hmm. want to pretend you're someone and you get to hang out at certain places and you want to look a certain way yeah. and present. But this is 
this goes before social media ever existed. Yeah. It's, it's the issue of the heart. And, and I keep thinking about courageous authenticity. Like we, we, you wouldn't need to be courageous if it was easy, mm-hmm. but it is hard though. Cause you, I mean, I know, at least for me, the, the struggle is if people really know who I am, would they still like me? Would they accept me? And as a leader, that's something that leaders often struggle with. And so that's where they're tempted to go. Man, I don't, I don't know what I can share. Mm. And, and you've been in leadership circles. It's, there's, there's also good advice around don't share everything with everyone, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so how do you, mm-hmm. how authentic should you be? And yeah. how do you, how do you find the right balance there? Is there a balance? Dallas Willard in uh, Renovation of the Heart tells a wonderful story about his little granddaughter, Alyssa, who at the time I think was maybe four years old. Mm -hmm. And she's playing. And Jane, her grandmother, Nana, is sitting next to her reading a book. And uh, Alyssa wants to play in the mud. They just get the hose going. He's making mud. And uh, Jane tells her, you know, don't play in the mud. You're making a mess. But she wants to play in the mud. So eventually what she says is, don't look at me, Nana. Don't look at me. So it's like, she's going to play in the mud. And and then Dallas writes, thus the tender heart of a child shows us that how necessary it is for us to be unobserved in our wrongdoing. That it's the nature of our condition that we want to do things that we know we should not do, or we want to not do things that we know we should do. And that always requires hiddenness. So all the way back to Genesis, where are you, you know? Uh, uh, and Adam was hiding. And so we all, we all tend to hide. Yeah. And so I think we start by saying, yep, that's yeah. what I do. And, and, and I'm always tempted. Yeah. And often fall to try to make myself look better than mm-hmm. I actually am. But what about the fear though? And I know we talked about this with Nancy, like yeah. fear in my notes, I think it was like fear stops us from, asking the right questions from doing things we're supposed to do. Like we, it, it just causes the wrong emotion, mm-hmm. you know, or the wrong results show up because of fear. It, it is a scary thing to be authentic yes. and to, and I, I'm, it's not just being authentic with people, but being authentic with God. Yeah. Yeah. And being still enough to say, well, and it's interesting, in the 12 steps, the fourth step is uh, we did a fearless and searching moral mm-hmm. inventory. And then the fifth step uh, admitted, confessed the exact nature of our wrongs to ourselves, yeah. God, and one other person. Yeah. Turns out it's much harder to confess to another person mm-hmm. when you get detailed with it than yeah. it is to God because that other person has a body and I'm looking at yeah. that face. And I do think it's very important for leaders to understand um, uh, what's appropriate to share with whom? Mm-hmm. I think about a pastor I know who was talking to some people about his marriage. And he said, you know, my marriage, I would give it about a C minus and I don't think it'll ever be any better. Mm. Well, he put a burden on people there because now everybody that's really worried is his marriage going to make it. Yeah. And eventually it didn't. Eventually yeah. he got a divorce. Yeah. So he was kind of using the crowd for therapy. Sure. So as a preacher, for example, I will ask, um, what can I disclose that people need to hear? Not what do I have a need yeah. to say? Yeah. And I need to have good friends I may well need to have a therapist mm-hmm. 
that I can reveal things to where I don't have to worry about taking care of that person. Yeah. But if I'm a leader or if I'm pastoring, I always need to filter what I'm saying sure. through a, a lens of, is this going to put a burden on these people that is not fair to them? Yeah. So I think it's really good for people to keep yeah. that in mind. Yeah, and, and on a practical level, yep. if you're a preacher, authenticity is a critical part of that, but yeah. not fake authenticity. It's not the, right? I mean, you, well, <laughs> yes. Actually, that leads to something. Can I borrow yeah, your journal? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Andy Crouch uh, wrote a terrific book. I think it's called Strong and Weak. Mm -hmm. And he's writing about two topics that are real important for everybody, but especially for people that have organizational leadership positions. And uh, that involves um, uh, having authority mm -hmm. and being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And he writes how often we think of those two qualities as though they're at opposite ends of a yeah. spectrum. Yeah. Either you have a lot of authority or you're really vulnerable. Yeah. But that they're actually two separate things on their own continuum. And so you can be high in authority mm -hmm. or you can be low in authority. And at the same time, you can be high in vulnerability or you can be low in vulnerability. So that actually creates yeah. um, a little two-by-two two yep. box. Yep. And um, so if I'm high in authority and high vulnerability, that goes back to Genesis 1, to be made in the image of God. That's very high authority. Mm -hmm. um, and they were naked and not ashamed. To be naked is to be very vulnerable. Mm. So human beings were actually created to be high in authority and to be high in vulnerability. And if you think about Jesus, he is the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the yeah. Messiah. That's very high in authority. Yeah. And he humbled himself to obedience, obedience unto death, even death on a cross. You don't get more vulnerable than that. So he is the ultimate expression of humanity. He is the ultimate expression of High carrying authority. great authority yeah. and becoming deeply vulnerable. Because we see it, at, I mean, just to use a different word, we almost see it as high authority, authority and vulnerability almost as strong and weak. Yes, and there's and we a think to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. I, there's a temptation. I, I know for me personally, I don't want to be seen as a weak leader. Yep. And there's that tension of like, I know I need to be vulnerable, but what's a safe level of vulnerability? But so you're saying it's not on the same spectrum. It's just two different. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And we were created um, to be both extremely high in authority, made in the image of God, um, to reign, to exercise dominion, but also to be deeply vulnerable with one another, to be open, to not be hidden, to be naked in that sense, um, to be humble. Jesus was the most vulnerable person who ever lived. And again, he is our guide for sure. leadership. He understood yes. leadership. Yep. And so the reason that we confuse strength with invulnerable yes. Yes. Yeah. Talk, uh, yeah. is that we think that... Um, I should never have to experience wounds. I should never be hurt. And to be vulnerable is to be able to be wounded. Mm. So we think I will take advantage of my strength to put myself in a position sure. where I'm secure and I don't have to face pain. Yeah. And Jesus is perfectly content, glad to take on pain for the sake of love because mm -hmm. he always served out of love. But we think strength and leadership 
is about avoiding pain and suffering for myself. So what can happen then is, uh, so this is the Jesus quadrant here. Yep. This is where we want to be. Yep. High in authority, but also genuinely vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens for us is we decide, um, I would like to be high in authority, but I don't want to be vulnerable. Yeah. I don't want to hurt. And so what can happen here is you, and you'll see this sometimes with pastors, sometimes with real skilled ones. Andy writes about this. They will tell certain stories in a sermon about uh, little foibles in yeah. their parenting or their marriage that are not genuinely vulnerable. It's faux vulnerability, sure. fake vulnerability. Yeah. And so it looks to people like, oh, aren't they being vulnerable? So then people give them even more authority, but they're actually moving over here. Yeah, yeah. And so they're developing the technique of fake pseudo-vulnerability to enhance their authority. Authority. And, uh, of course, what happens in the Garden of Eden is uh, that Adam and Eve decide to eat the fruit. And what the temptation is, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. God. So that you will not be vulnerable. That's the thought. So we'll eat the fruit, then we'll be like God, and we won't have to be vulnerable. And, of course, what happens is... It, it causes them to be tremendously vulnerable, but now without authority. Yeah. And we see this over and over again. Uh, you go to a party and you feel vulnerable. And so you start drinking alcohol and it makes you feel like, now I'm not vulnerable anymore. Yeah. Now I have more authority and confidence. But eventually what happens is you become enslaved to alcohol. And mm-hmm. so always when we try to move to this quadrant and in the leadership world, so often that idea of I can be highly authoritative, but without vulnerability, we gravitate towards that. That's always the temptation. That's what happened in Genesis 3, and it always leads down to here. And we see that in churches over and over again. Yeah. So so I think that coming to understand that the Jesus model for leadership um, uh is high in authority and vulnerability. And again, coming back to one of the themes in these conversations, often for people who gravitate towards the spiritual formation side of kind of culture, um, they love vulnerability. They love to talk about it. They will roll over on their backs and expose their jugular (laughs) to anybody. And so they're uncomfortable with authority. Jesus was very comfortable with authority. Mm -hmm. And so folks on that side will need to learn to appropriately accept and manage authority. That's yeah. a good thing. Authority is something that is given by God. It's part of exercising dominion. On the other hand, people that are real into that leadership culture, they want lots of authority. They're very comfortable having yeah. power. They do not want to be vulnerable. And they will cultivate false vulnerability in order to convince other people that they're wonderful and spiritual and gain even yeah. more authority, but they're not genuinely vulnerable. And so then there's not authenticity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's hiddenness. Mm. The more hidden we are. Kills transformation. Yep. You are only as sick as your secrets. Secrets just destroy us. There's a quote I wrote down. It's from Spirit of Disciplines, Dallas Willard. Mm -hmm. Authentic transformation is possible if we are willing to do one thing, and that is to rearrange our life around the things that Jesus practiced in order to receive light and power from the Father. Yeah. That's authentic transformation, rearranging our lives. Yeah, and that's that's the thesis of his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Mm-hmm. And that, outside of the Bible, that's the book that has impacted me mm-hmm. the most. 
And part of the reason that I did was I felt like I want to genuinely change. I yeah. want to be authentically different, but I wasn't sure yeah. how. Because you asked yourself that question, right? I mean, why aren't people changing? Mm-hmm. And then went on to say, why am I not changing? Yep. yep. Right? And, you know, at that point, I knew I was supposed to read the Bible and pray and yep. have a daily quiet time, but it's like that wasn't quite doing it. Yep. And I would get frustrated with that. And uh, coming back to AA, at the end of uh, every AA meeting, every 12-step meeting, people will join hands, they'll pray, often the serenity prayer, sure. maybe the Lord's Prayer. And then usually they will chant together to each other, keep coming, coming. back, yeah. it works. Yeah. Or sometimes keep coming back, it works if you work it. Mm-hmm. And what they know is they have a program. The program is basically the 12 steps. That's a way of life. Uh, Christianity, the New Testament, was called the way. Mm -hmm. Christians were called not people of the belief, but people of the the way. And what's needed is a concrete, actionable way of life that's not mechanical, legalistic, or arbitrary, but has the power to bring about genuine transformation. And in AA, partly because God's strength is made perfect in weakness, that's Mm -hmm. the vulnerability thing, um, very often addicts in their desperation are given the gift of genuine vulnerability because mm-hmm. they just can't hide anymore. Yeah. And usually they have been hiding for a long time. Well, and they know if they don't come back, they'll die. Like yeah. there's there's yep. just that definitive. Yep. But the reason they them. became addicts was that addiction, uh, alcohol, drugs, yep. sex, gambling, whatever it is, it promised high authority. Yeah. When I'm engaged in that behavior or used in that substance, I feel like I'm on top of the world. Yeah, but I'm really not. But then it brings enslavement. So it puts you down in that quadrant where you have no authority and utter vulnerability. But the um, strange, painful gift of that is a desperate need for a God that is so strong that it overcomes my resistance to authenticity. Mm. And I'm able to say, I'm a mess, I'm needy. And the problem that many of us have, especially in leadership, is our lives are manageable enough that we are not willing to go to desperately truthful authenticity. I remember talking to you and you said one of the sayings that they have in AA is, I can't, he can, I think I'll let him. And I remember you saying that, I, I thought to myself, I don't. I thought I was not supposed to say I can't. (laughs) You know, I'm supposed to figure it out. Like if I'm, if I'm here, if I'm leading in this position, if, if, if I've been asked to steward something, I need to be able to, like, if I say I can't, then why am I here? Because I exist to to be able to talk to folks that are leading right now for a moment about just that issue. Yeah. And I think, uh, that's a summary of the first three steps. And the first step is, uh, admitted that we were powerless over alcohol. And our lives had become unmanageable. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can't. I cannot overcome my addiction and I cannot manage my life. And it's only when somebody honestly gets to the place of desperation with that, that they're willing to go through the pain of that way of life, of the 12 steps, of um, actually doing a fearless and searching moral inventory and acknowledging that to somebody else and making amends. So, so, so that realization, I cannot do this, yeah. is necessary. That all comes from Jesus. I mean, mm-hmm. that's Paul who was given, he called it a thorn in his flesh. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what that is. Maybe it was an addiction of sure. some kind. Yeah. He asked God to take it away. God says, nope. 
And, and finally, what God says is, um, uh, not that I will take away the thorn, but um, grace my sufficient. grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect, not in strength. Yeah. That's what leaders are prone to mistake. My strength is made perfect in weakness yeah. because then I see God is the one that's doing it. And that's the secret of the power of AA. And it's the secret of the yeah. power of church. You know, Paul boasted in his weakness. He said, I will glory in my weakness. And we think of that as spiritual sounding words. Yeah. Instead of, no, we see that precisely in AA. Yeah. It's that recognition, I can't, but then I discover there is a way of life. But it always begins with surrender because that's what brings the motivation to be deeply, rawly yeah. honest and to die to all of that pride and leaders need that more than anybody. And I can't, I think like this is the thing that's hitting me. I can't doesn't mean low authority. I can't means high vulnerability. That's exactly correct. Because right? yes. I think we confuse I can't with, oh man, I'm just weak. Yes. And you go back to that old understanding of either I'm strong, which means I can't. Yeah. Or I'm weak, which means I can't. Yeah. But no, I yeah. can't is high vulnerability. Yeah. The, the I can't is not grounds for passivity. Yes. People sometimes understand yep. that. And it's not hopelessness. You are not hopeless. Um, it is that I am not self-sufficient. Yep. And I will have to find my life rooted in a power greater than yeah. myself. And so that's the second step. Came to believe a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. He can, and then made the decision to turn my life and my will over to God. Yeah. So I think I'll let him. So it's the opposite of passivity. Yeah. It's extremely active, and uh, there is tremendous power and strength, but it's not generated by me. Mm -hmm. um, um, but now I must steward it. I must uh, take responsibility, accountability for my life. It is an extremely active life that calls for a great deal yeah. of courage, but always comes back to, but God, I can't. On yeah. my own, I can't. Your will be done. Your will be done. Your will be done. Yeah. 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 There's, um, you've mentioned in the past flourishing in ministry and you, I think Matt Bloom talks about the three areas of alignment. Mm -hmm. Can you just quickly unpack that? Yeah. So, um, to be deeply authentic in ministry means I have to be my real self. I'm a three on the Enneagram. So I constantly battle with yeah. this. You know, the, the shadow sin side of a three is deception. Mm -hmm. I hated hearing that because I never think about myself as a liar. Yeah. But yeah, I constantly. Um, try to promote myself, try mm -hmm. to make myself sound smarter than I really am, look like I'm better than I actually am. I, image management, I wrestle mm -hmm. with that all the time. So um, to be courageously authentic in leadership is a lifelong challenge for me. And Bloom talks about um, looking for alignment in yep. three areas. And anybody who's listening to us might think about this. The first one is competencies and duty alignment. Yep. So if my duty is to preach, am I competent at that? Am I gifted in that area? Am I learning? Am I able to do it effectively? If my duty is to lead, am I competent in that? Do I have the ability to recruit people and develop them and manage teams and intercept entropy and cast vision? If my duties are um, to sing or to do something on the technical, whatever the duties yeah. are, do I have the, do I have the skill set, yeah. the gifts and the competence to be able to do it? So that's the first kind of alignment. Then a second one is alignment between needs and resources. Mm -hmm. 
So that could be, I'm working at a place, but they're just not paying me enough money. My family's really struggling. Are there the financial resources available? Mm-hmm. That might be, I need other people on the team who are better at me at doing certain things. It might mean technology. Mm-hmm. We could do so much if we had technology available mm-hmm. for us or further training. So asking that question, sure. are there the resources in place that meet the needs the that needs are needed that to yep. achieve mission? The third one is a really interesting one, and that's values alignment. And this is the one that I think speaks most deeply to authenticity. The first one, am I competent for what I'm needed? That requires a lot of emotional maturity and honesty to be able to say, nope. Yeah. Yeah. And often my emotional neediness will get in the way there. Uh Um, The third one occurs when people find themselves at a church and they feel like, you know what? I feel like I can't really be myself here. Mm. And maybe it's, I feel like my theological and spiritual center of gravity. I, I think sometimes we all have a theological and spiritual sure. center of gravity. There are certain uh, expressions of the faith, ways of talking about it, writers, teachers, who are particularly helpful to me. Dallas Willard is one yeah. of those. If I was at a church where they felt like, no, we think he's suspect. We don't want to hear about him. There would be a misalignment. Yeah. And that's at the value level. That's yeah. t- in terms of theology. Could be conservative, liberal, um, charismatic. Could be philosophy of ministry, sure. contemporary, whatever it is. But that sense of, um, you, you know is that there, sense when yeah. you're at a place where you feel like, oh, I can bring my whole self here. Yeah. Yeah. I can talk about how I think about God and faith and spiritual life and spiritual growth and philosophy of ministry and how we ought to move forward mm-hmm. and the kind of strategy that makes me resonate, um, uh, how I think Christians should think about politics and so. And when there's a mismatch there, yeah. folks are tempted into what is called by somebody facades of conformity. Mm. A facade is a false front. Mm-hmm. I will pretend to think things I don't really think. Mm-hmm. I will pretend to believe things I don't really believe. I will not say things that I'm really thinking. Yeah. And that's death. Yeah. And that, that is not sustainable. And then, and then leaders end up leading hidden yeah. lives. What about for the leader that took that or is getting ready to take that? courageous step of authenticity or maybe Mm -hmm. they did and there's just shame associated with it yeah and how do we how how do we remind them that there's hope how can a leader feel like you know what i've done is not who i am just either they were forced into that authentic moment Mm -hmm. or they willingly did yeah but in the kingdom yeah, no, I'm so glad you raised that how, how question because yeah. I know lots of folks listening will be in pain because they know there's a gap between the person they really are and what they're presenting to other folks. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I'll sometimes think about that is, is the life I'm inviting other people to live the life I'm living mm-hmm. myself? Mm-hmm. Because Jesus invited people to live in the kingdom and that's a life that is unhurried, surrendered, and free. Yeah. But often churches... We have leaders who are busy, pressured, anxious, frenzied, afraid. And they think it's okay to do that so that they can convince lots of other people to give up their lives and enter into Jesus' way of life. But Jesus cannot have planned for leaders to give up his kind of life in order to convince other people to give up everything to enter into his kind of life. Um, 
But for sure, as soon as I sit back quietly and start to think about that, I will feel this sense of shame. I, I think of being in a situation where there was a leader there who could be quite intimidating to me. And I know I did not bring my true, courageous, authentic self there because of my own fear and then their shame. So for everybody who has that sense of hiddenness right now, uh, I would start by saying, know that even with that gap and even with that hiddenness, you are loved by God and God will be with you as you seek to make your way out of that hidden spot. Mm. And, um, the misery and pain of hiddenness is much greater and much more damaging than the pain of transparency. It doesn't feel that way. When somebody is living in hiddenness, it feels like if people were to know about that, yeah. it would be the worst. Yeah. But I know what it feels like um, when there's a whole lot of loss and a whole lot of folks know about that. And um, the surprising truth is it's survivable. Mm-hmm. And that's why oftentimes um, if people have been uh, in, in, in ministry areas involved in misbehavior on sure. sexuality or yeah. finances or something. Um, when it becomes known, uh, that's initially an awful and painful thing. Yeah. But very often on the other side of it, there can be freedom and healing mm-hmm. because they realize the pressure and pain of living in hiddenness and being compartmentalized was disintegrating my soul. Yeah. And when it becomes known, it actually becomes possible to live in a kind of wholeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, always when people end up in a ditch like that, part of what was going on was they were not living with a sense of joy and confidence with God. And that's what made them say, I have to take care of myself. Yeah. I'm miserable. So yeah. I deserve yeah. this behavior, this activity, this illicit this something because that's feeding something yeah. that was empty inside their soul or busyness. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, because then it becomes, there's this, this sense of, okay, God, I'm doing all this yep. stuff for you. I can't trust you to take care of me. So I got to take yeah. care of me. Yeah. And so, um, to know that God loves you despite that shame. And then I would begin to pray and ask, who is a safe person in your life that yeah. you can tell everything to? And I think for people who are involved in leadership particularly, it is an indispensable need to have a fully disclosing friend in your life. And I have one of those in my life, and it's somebody where many, many years ago I decided uh, I don't want to have any secrets before him. Mm -hmm. And so it was really hard work, and it took some time to just reflect on my life and think what's the most painful, most embarrassing stuff. Often that would involve areas of sexuality, sometimes pride, sometimes lies that I had told and deception, and to push myself to tell him all those things. That was really hard. And it still is. That's an interesting thing about vulnerability. Um, Scott Peck talked, he wrote a lot about community. And he said, one of the stages on the way to community is pseudo community. And that's when we know each other. But we're polite and yeah. we collude together not to disagree or to sure. go to places that would be awkward. Yeah. And so if we're going to get out of pseudo community, we have to go into what he called the tunnel of chaos. Oof. 
Yeah, because it's uncomfortable. It's it's always uncomfortable. It's chaos because you don't know what's yep. going to happen. And it's always scary. It's yeah. never not scary. So even after all these years with Rick, it will still be the case when I've done something and I don't want to talk about it and it's embarrassing and I feel petty, I still have to take a deep breath to tell him. Yeah. Vulnerability always involves saying the scary thing. Mm. But... If you're part of a team and it feels kind of boring or kind of stagnant, what's going on is there's a lack of vulnerability there. Mm. Stagnant, boring relationships, a team that is just feels like it's on a relational or dynamic plateau or static place is happening because people are not naming the scary stuff and going into the tunnel of chaos. And so tunnel of chaos. having a person where I can do that privately and they're real safe and then they can help me figure out how do I move into greater authenticity and the light in my position of leadership with the folks where I'm leading and yeah. the people to whom I'm accountable. Um, that's indispensable. Yeah. And the alternative is a train wreck uh, <laughs> on one side of eternity or the yeah. other. Yeah. So... The question we can ask ourselves, start with this question, is the life I'm living mm-hmm. the life I want to invite other people to? And then from there, who is a safe person that I can tell everything to? Yeah. Courageous authenticity. Yeah. I love that. Thanks for listening to Rediscover Leadership, a series from Become New for Leaders. If you're here, you're asking great questions about what it means to lead while you follow Jesus. In case you didn't know, what you just heard is one of a seven-part series. Be sure to catch the rest. You can subscribe to receive all seven from becomenew.com slash leaders. You can also use the same link to get our free ebook on leadership and spiritual formation. Finally, if you want daily spiritual formation content from John Orberg, founder of Become New, you can subscribe at becomenew.com slash subscribe. We're so glad you're here and we're committed with you to becoming leaders who follow well and lead like Jesus did.